So clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need some more energy? Let me start by saying what you do not want. You do not want another bar or a sugar snack or an energy drink. No, what you want is beef. Let me help you with that. Beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty, not rough. What makes it so good? I would suggest to you it's the... 50-year-old family business behind Old Trapper. They're known for a relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four great flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky can Paris, old trapper, what's your beef? But he comes in, I look on his face, I go, I can just tell, I go, what's going on with you? He goes, you won't believe it. And I go, Lawrence, I'll believe it. So he takes the leather jacket that he has on it over his arms and he pulls it back and he got handcuffs on. And I just go, oh my God, I don't even want to know. Whatever. He goes, well, what am I going to do? Hey now, what's cracking? Thank you for tuning in to the Jim Rome Podcast, Super Bowl edition. Not only do we have about two dozen amazing interviews coming your way this week live from Radio Row in Miami, but we also have the side hustle rolling out once again, and this week's guest is one of my favorite guys, a two-time Super Bowl champ, a Super Bowl MVP, the number seven pick overall back in 1979. He currently appears on the NFL Today on CBS, among many other things. Of course, I'm talking about the iconic Phil Simms. Nobody knows the Super Bowl better than this guy. He still holds the all-time record for completion percentage in that game. He went 22-25 with three TDs in Super Bowl 21. To be honest, I can't believe that we have not had Phil on this podcast until right now, but we've got him now, and he is officially the star of F-114. It's Super Bowl week. Let's get it. Phil, I am so appreciative that you would do this. Let me start, if you don't mind, and we have so much football to talk about, but because I just came off a show where we spent a solid three hours talking about the passing of Kobe Bryant, it just was so stunning and so shocking. I'm kind of curious, as somebody who played the game at a really high level as a parent and a father, what was your immediate reaction when you saw that story? Oh, boy, I was actually out of, I was on a football field waiting for a quarterback to show up. He shows up. And he goes, that's so sad about Kobe Bryant. And I just went, what? Well, what, what do you mean? Oh, he, well, he passed away. I went, oh, my gosh. I'm thinking something like a heart attack. I don't know what. And he goes, no, he was in a helicopter crash. And then my first thought, Jim, was, oh, please don't tell me the whole family was with him. That's just what I thought. But then I heard. And, you know, my reaction was, you know, I don't think there's anybody that follows sports or anything like anybody that's, of course, saddened by any any time it happens to somebody. But Kobe Bryant, you know, um, all I can say is, as a player, of course, I loved him. I loved his singleness of purpose. So, in other words, he had one thing to do to be good at basketball, and he really worked and did everything he could to be his best, which I appreciate, is which is very hard to do. Uh, especially in this day and age. And, you know, too, my biggest takeaway, too, 
I heard somebody say it on TV, and I go, wow, I'm glad I'm the only guy that... But since he retired, it's like he, he became another person. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say more likable, but it just, he was different. He wasn't competing anymore, and I think we saw the true Kobe Bryant once he stopped competing. I think that's a very interesting point, because for him to be the Mamba, for him to be the guy that he wanted to be, he had to have that singleness of purpose, Phil, that you point out. Like, what was that like for you when you stopped, when you were not as locked in and dialed into being the best player that you could be every single day? What was that like for you when you walked away? Well, I, I, I was in such a different era in everything. I always, and I know, if I grew up in today's world, I would be a different person, you know, physically, everything, mentally, because of it's just more accepted to be that way now. You know, when I was growing up, even in high school and especially in college, people would laugh at me and, oh, you're not going out because you couldn't, what are you going to work out? Or, you know, sarcastic and all that stuff. And, and, and um, you know, but now that that's accepted and not only it's, it's highly looked upon. And uh, so, but, so it was different. I, I, I look back and go, yes, I could have worked harder. I did work very hard, but, you know, I had other things that distracted me sometimes. And, you know, guys like Kobe Bryant, um, you know, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, man, I mean, it's, they knew how to prepare and whatever and work. And look, they had great talent, but there's a lot of people that have great talent, but they, they were able to mentally and physically put it on the floor and show it all, show it to all of us. No, there's no doubt. Now, listen, Phil, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but considering even to this moment, I cannot go anywhere, Phil, without somebody saying to me, Damn, Rome, you sure look cold at Arrowhead last Sunday. Can you please back me up on this? Yes, I am a soft Southern California native. No, I was not prepared. But, Phil, as somebody who has lived and played in frigid conditions, can you back me up? How cold was Kansas City for championship weekend? Uh, you know, I wish I had one of those. You know how cold it was? Right. It right. was unbelievably cold. I mean, unbelievable. It took it actually took courage to sit through that. And I people can laugh. I remember we went out on that field, whatever time it was, at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I was out there for five minutes, and I turned to Nate Burleson and said, oh, my God, have I underestimated this. And I knew we were in trouble. And he, he looked at me and goes, oh, man, you know, Mr. Style, you know, Nate, and you too. But uh, all of a sudden, he had to recalculate what he was going to wear out there because trying to stay warm uh, was hard. It did not work, and all of us were freezing. I I tell you, Jim, I was truly so – I don't think I recovered till about Wednesday. The chill in my bones was that real from sitting out there in that cold weather. And it's not only the cold, it was the wind, which you were outside the stadium. So I know you were catching some good breezes out there. Oh, no, I got the breezes. Phil, when you walked in the trailer, our heated trailer, and you looked at everybody and you said, no, listen, everybody listen up. We got a problem now. It is really cold. And I kind of played that off, but I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, if Phil Sims has a problem, there's no way I'm going to survive this. And then I tried that whole mind over matter thing, and I tried to talk myself into it. Phil, you're right. It was so much worse than I expected. Well, you had dress shoes on your beautiful Italian dress shoes. Dumb. And I looked Dumb. at him and I said, are you going to wear those? I know you did. I know you did. You I'm like, yeah, yeah I think I'm going to I can do it. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm like, yeah, I can do it. And do you know how much I paid for those? Hell yes, I'm going to wear those. Never again. <laughs> Never again. I learned my lesson. So thanks oh, for backing man, me up I know. On it that. was tough. You know, and, 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 and two, it goes off okay, but we looked. I watched, actually watched the show. 
you know, we'd look cold. And, you know, there's, and you know, uh, from doing that, and, and I've known from playing and announcing games, because, you know, the booth, when you announce, the booth is open. And Kansas City, their TV booth is probably the coldest one I've ever been in the NFL. It's concrete floors or whatever, and it just goes right through you. The wind blows usually in that direction right into the booth. And, uh, you know, so, man, I should have I known that. I knew that and, and still didn't give it enough respect. But, well, we made it. But watching the show, we looked cold. There were times that I couldn't even hardly say certain words that I wanted to say. That's, uh, that's when you know you're in trouble. Oh, man, I feel so much better hearing you say that. I actually, you know, between you and me, I haven't shared this, but I, I found Drew the next day. I said, Drew, I feel terrible about this. I should have known better, but I have to tell you, since we didn't rehearse, like, you know, we normally rehearse the entire show before the show. Yeah. We, we were not able to do that, so we didn't actually try to move our mouths or our faces until go time. And, Phil, when I went to go do one of my hits, I could not move my face. Like, my jaw was locked. And I'm <laughs> like, what, what yeah. is going on here? Oh, my gosh. I well, the listen, we had... We had the same problem as some some people said. Hey, it's good you couldn't talk. We didn't want to hear you anyway. But <laughs> right, that's right. you know, but that's that's a whole other story. But yes, talking in that cold weather, it is amazing. And then you know, you have to the the crowd and people around you outside, all the other stuff that goes on. And um, that was the first time you know did the Super Bowl last year. But that was the first time I've gone on the road to do um, a pregame show. And I know this: if I ever do one again, and if it's in really cold weather. Man, I will be ready big time. Yeah, JB, I got the biggest kick out of him, and not to dwell on all this, but J- James <laughs> Brown, he, you know, usually he's turning and talking. He put his hands in a place. He read what was in front of him, and when he turned his head, it moved about an inch. So, Phil, what do you think? And he went back to where his like he he figured if he didn't move. He would stay warmer, but uh, we we had some good laughs you, on the way home you, talking you need about to, it. Oh, you sure. have to know. You have to know the team, and you have to know the guys. And JB is absolutely the greatest gentleman ever. He's like the best guy in the business. But I know why you think that's funny. And the really funny thing about this, Phil, is there's so many things like we should have moved on, but you and I could probably talk about that weather for another hour, and we'd be good. It was the most amazing thing. One last thought on my part. What was demoralizing was the 74,000 in that stadium. Phil, I understand that they know, and they live in it. It was their biggest day in 50 years. And by the way, they were fueled up and drinking a lot in the day. There wasn't one person I saw there, Phil, who was miserable like you and me. How do you explain that? Well, they weren't trying to go on TV and be underdressed and have to talk and make, you know, uh, somewhat glib. sense out of what they're trying to say. So you, you said a couple things. One, they live there. Now, I live in the Northeast. It's it's cold here. And it's today's, actual, today's cold. But they were fueled up, which helps and those fans, listen, being out in the parking lot before, the eating, this, that, and knowing how to dress, and the adrenaline flow flowing from them was greater than what we had, even though we're on TV, because that I sat there a couple times when we were off, and I stood on the sideline, looked at the whole crowd, and I went, wow, this stadium, there's truly not a bad seat. I can't, I don't see an empty seat, and they were into it from start to finish, so... They stayed involved physically, mentally, whatever. It was a great scene, and um, you know, yes, I'm a little. Always, I feel bad for the losing team, but very happy for the Kansas City Chiefs also. And and I hate to say too, and and for the fans because they are loyal, and they do show up, 
and it, all that stuff we hear about it being a loud stadium, well, we know it's true because we've been there. No, we saw it. We felt it, and I agree with you. All right, so let me ask you really quickly about Eli Manning. So he retires, and Wellington Mara said this, and you knew this already, but he said once before, once a giant, always a giant. As somebody who played as long as you did there, in fact, your whole career and had the success you have, what does that mean to you, once a giant, always a giant? Well, listen, I'm really glad it happened to me because I, when I was let go after my 15th year, I, I flirted big time with three teams and uh, really couldn't pull the trigger because my family wasn't going to go with me. Oh, we'll come visit you on weekends. Well, I've seen those guys that lived that life, and that does not work out. So, But it's just, you know, it's, I'm so glad that I didn't go anywhere. One, probably because of my physical health. I mean, I just would have had more battle scars if I'd have went somewhere else to play. And it, it is special to know that, especially in this day and age, that I got to play 15 years with one team. But also, I think when Wellington Mara says that, he was so connected emotionally and everything with the players. It, it, there's, I know there's more than one owner in a league like that, but there's not many. And when he said those things, when he... You know, took such great interest in you as a person, of course, as a player, and his treatment of you. But when he said it to me, I was actually he was in the hospital one of his last days, and I was allowed to go in and talk to him, and we we had a conversation. I don't know for an hour, two hours, just me and him. And I said something. I accidentally said, "Well, being an ex giant," and he goes, "Phil," and you know, I went. I went, uh-oh, and he lectured me. Once a giant, always a giant. Oh, that's great. We don't have exes. We might have some old giants. And he went on, and I said, oh, Mr. Mayor, come on. You know I didn't mean I'm sorry, whatever. And uh, But it, it, it was really it's special. You know, the Mara family, owning the team so long, you know, like the hunts and whatever. And it, it, when I go down to the, their complex, when I walk through the building, after all these years I've been out of professional football, I would say three-quarters of the building, I know. They have not left. They're still working there. If you have a job there when you're 22, you know, you can work there until you retire. And if, as long as you do your job. I mean, this, and the receptionist, you know, go in there, wow, 15 years later, she's still there. You know, so I know they're treating her great, paying her well enough, and it's just great to be part. That's what I realized, too. It's great to be a part of a football team no matter what capacity you hold. And after I came back from Kansas City, not to change stories, but I was talking to my wife, and we were talking about Andy Reid, the players, this, and my wife always says, all those poor coaches and kids that lost. And then she says to me, you know, you should have coached. And I really regret you didn't coach. And I went, wow. And, and why, why did she say that, Jim? She wants but, you out of the house. No, well, yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's probably you true. You came home, you retired. And she said to me and then once, she I had a she game with Giant Stadium. She goes, I said, hey, how about dinner on you know Saturday night or whatever? She goes, she looks at my daughter and goes, we like it when Dad travels on the weekend. That is so great. But that is so great. Here's the whole thing. She wanted the fix. Yep, you bet. She wanted Sunday. I'm nervous. Oh my God, I can't watch and this. It's that's what keeps everybody in the game. Isn't that amazing? In it, fact, it is. I, it is amazing. It, it, I said it to Tom Moore once. Yeah, who now is in his eighties, down in Tampa Bay. Tom, you know this that. Why are you still doing it? He goes, Phil, I'm doing it because I get to walk out here on Sundays. And I said, Yep, that says it all. 
you know. But you know, it, Phil, it, I get that because I know a lot of college coaches, basketball coaches, and the wives play such a prominent role, you know, in being they, – they need to be there. They've got a lot invested, and they like that juice as well. And then when a college yes. coach loses their job, they, they, the, the wives often miss having a team. They miss having that juice. They miss all that. So I understand that. Now, the Giants, Phil, are probably unlike any other organization, and certainly the one you know best. What about the Patriots? I understand that you're not on the inside, but, like, Tom Brady has an opportunity – to and a different guy in a different career, but an opportunity to do what you did. Do you think it would be a mistake for him to end his career someplace else? Do you think he'll regret that, or do you understand why he might want to? Well, a mistake. I don't think I'd go as far as uh, as a mistake, but I can't see. T- you know, I'm you know I'm being the fan or whatever. You know, he's got his feelings and reasons. Whatever he does, you know, listen. I'll say good for him because he deserves whatever he gets. And um, but being selfish, just as a fan. I want him to finish his career with the New England Patriots. So, you know, I hear these things. I just can't imagine Tom Brady running out in another uniform and us talking about it next year during, you know, a pregame show. I, I just can't imagine that. And, you know, some other guys I can – Philip Rivers, you know, I think he'll probably try to play next year. Well, I can see it. it, it you know, they didn't win Super Bowls, and he's not an icon or whatever out in Los Angeles. And uh, But for Tom Brady – no, I'm like a lot of fa- uh, fans. I want him to finish there, and I, I do believe they'll find a way to work it out where he, he gets at least one more year or his last year there in New England. Got it. Now, remember, of course, you were drafted number seven overall in 1979, and Phil, you're great like this because you've, I'm sure, been asked millions and millions of times, but again, I have to ask, what was it like, a headstrong guy like you playing for a headstrong guy like Bill Parcells, how would you characterize your relationship with him, and what was it like playing for him? Well, I always say this. I give a few speeches every year, you know, maybe about five or six during the off season, and I give the thing. I said, you know, is, did you think Bill Parcells was tough? And, and you know, people said, so I said, listen, you have no idea. I said, he, he truly was mentally so tough on you, and of course, tough physically also. So, but it didn't bother me. That's how I grew up. You know, it was a little di- a different era. But my high school coach and college coach coaches, they made Bill Parcells look like the little league coach. Mm. Like, wow. I mean, because they were physically, mentally, everything just so over the top, even compared to what Bill Parcells put us through. But he was always on you. There was never a day to relax. Every day was the most important day of our lives. And, oh, my God, if we had a bad practice one day, the following day he was unbearable. And I say to the people, and I really mean it, unbearable. The pressure, I would get in there at 730 in the morning if he saw me, he'd go, hey, Sims. And, you know, I go, hey, coach. He goes, I mean, how many balls did you complete yesterday? He's going, I'm like, man, can I just get a cup of coffee before I go to my meeting? <laughs> And I couldn't sleep last night thinking of you. I tossed and turned all night long. And my wife, my wife says, what's the matter, Bill? And he goes, my effing quarterback can't complete a pass. That's what's the matter with me. Wow. And wow. That, I'm not exaggerating. And I'm telling you, I was nervous the whole day about practice coming up later in the afternoon. I mean, six hours later at least. What before fuck? we were going to practice. Yeah, but he was we like usually a- went out about 2.30, 3 o'clock, I don't know, around there. And all I could think about, man, I need a good practice today. And that, that was every day with Bill, every day. Did it, did it sharpen you and make you better, or did it make you question yourself and mess with your confidence? 
No, it never did. I mean, listen, it, we both laugh because we just go, we're both the same guy. We're stubborn as hell. And we fought all the time. You know, and the, the great thing about him is there's so many things I can tell Bill. and People laugh and hear these stories. They don't believe them, but then other people verify them. But, you know, as he could yell at you, and you could turn and yell back at him, like for real. I mean, scream at him, curse at him. And he would then snicker and go, <laughs> you, you want to hit me, don't you? Do you want to hit me? Is that what you want to do? Wow. And, you just, and you just go, what's wrong with you? And just, it was incredible. And and to hear him yell at guys at practice, we would actually stop practice and he would start just berating or just getting on whoever it was. And if it wasn't you, you were allowed to laugh and, you know, carry on and, they get him, coach, and you know, and, and you know, he'd just keep on rattling them off. And uh, but when it was you, it wasn't so funny. But so, that, that's the way he worked. He knew who to pick on. I'm gonna say we had eight guys to our team that when he needed to send a message, he was gonna get one of us and get his message to the rest of the team through one of those players. And I happened to be the quarterback, so sometimes he would just stop practice and berate our offensive line, berate him. And I'd be standing behind him going, yeah, get him, Bill. I got him getting hit too much. And he, this is during practice, and he'd go. Then after he's done, he'd turn around and look at me, and he points me and goes, and it's your fault. Right, <laughs> right. And I would laugh. And go, oh, I wouldn't laugh. I'd go, oh, yeah, of course it's my fault. Why is it my fault? Because they used to lead them, Sims. Now you're the little buddy. Take them out to dinner. They don't, rest- they, they don't fear you like they used to. They used to fear you. That their guy would hit you, but no, now you're their little friend. You keep how's that working out for you? And I, and I just you know this guy you, you can't talk back at something like that. But oh, Jim, no. I would get in my car, be driving home, and I go, damn, he's right, he's right. I got I got to get you know I just got to present myself a little bit differently than I was for a time, and it's easy to you know to let up off the gas pedal as a pro football player. And I don't mean to say this, but especially then because of practices and all that, because it, it, it was hard. It's hard to go out there and perform like that every single day when you have a coach like Bill Parcells. You need his motivation and fear to get you going sometimes. But it worked, Phil. Like, I've never seen a coach, and I'll never forget those days. Like, no matter what, he asked, like, jump, how high, you know, do whatever needed to be done. And I think you can motivate – through fear and intimidation, but only so far. Guys, I mean, they may have hated him, but they loved him, yeah. and they revered him. What was it about Parcells that made guys so badly seek his approval and want to go well beyond what they thought they could do to appease him? Well, one, he knew, how to, he knew who to pick on or whatever to do. He knew, and he knew some kids, some people, if you were thin-skinned and couldn't take it, he was going to treat you a little differently. But he always had a way of saying something to you during a week or before the game, and it might not be every week, but just it could be 10 seconds, and you felt like you were floating, you were so happy. He'd just walk by you and stop and say, hey, hey listen, just want to tell you, boy, I'm really proud of you, okay? And just keep walking. I'd go, man, I must be doing great. I mean, it, it, it was really amazing. Just the little things he would say. He said to me once, in 1984, the first game of the year against the Philadelphia Eagles, I can remember like it's yesterday, walking out of the locker room door, his career, my career, hell, it's on the line. And 
I'm coming out, and he's saying, you know, kind of giving everybody, like, just go, just it's the only time he never really did that much. And he, I come out, and he goes, hey, Sims. And I go, I look at him, he goes, if you don't throw at least two interceptions today, you're not taking enough chances. Let that damn thing go, and let's go. And, and I just went, man, well, I could take care of that interception thing, Bill. Nah. <laughs> but, but he actually said, that. I tell quarterbacks this story all the time, and I know they don't believe me, but it's almost verbatim the way he, ver, verbatim, the way he said it to me, and it was his way of relieving the pressure. And if you want to be great, you've got to learn how to go to the edge. Where do you go to the edge where you're out of control, or where's the edge where it's the greatest you can be? And that's where he tried to get you to, and that's why he played such psychological games on us all the time. And for a good part, for most of us, it worked. Sometimes it backfired, but... Overall, it worked, of course, very well for us. It seems to me, Phil, what he was saying is cut it loose, man. Cut, cut it loose. loose. You know, cut it loose. And, of course, it worked. But there were other times, you know, I, I, it's amazing. You know, Jim, as an athlete, I don't go back and go, I wish I would have trained harder, threw the ball more, did all that. I mean, you know, I did more. You know, I was one of those guys. I did more than enough of that. But I wish I had more knowledge and knew how to treat my mind better and be more positive and stuff. When I was really positive, it was amazing how I played. And then the days I was just, oh, I can't make a mistake, and I got whatever, and I was overthinking. I mean, that was awful. And, you know, it just took me, it just it kind of came and went. And, um, you know, that that's... That's really the only regret I have about, you know, whatever, is that I just didn't have the mindset that Bill was trying to teach us that I didn't have it all the time. Yeah, but I'd imagine when you got it and it came together and the whole team, how powerful a thing was that, Phil, when not only when the quarterback, when you got it, but when everybody in the locker room got it. And if everybody got it at the same time, how powerful that must have been. Well, yeah, it was powerful. That's why we won two Super Bowls. And, you know, I was saying to somebody earlier today, you know, it's always about the ones we lost a lot of times, yes. too. I felt like we should have won more. But it, it's amazing to be on a team. We talk about it all the time on set. You know, you hear it all. You know, the season's so long, and there just comes a time where the locker room, there's just a, a joy to it because we all know it's clicking. And, man, when it comes, it's like it's awesome. And whatever you tell us, Coach, we will do and everybody's energized, and we play that way, and it shows in our performance. And, you know, we had great, you know, great runs or whatever when that was happening. But it's work to get there. And it, it, that's why seasons, all, I you know, always say, look, the season is four years long. It's going to go up and down. But once you finally find who you are and where it all fits, if you do it, that's what, how you get in the playoffs, and that's how you make playoff runs. Yeah, I can't really speak to any of that, but I can speak to if I do what Drew Kaliski tells me to do, then I've got a <laughs> similar kind of media sort of feeling. I want to talk to you for a minute about root insurance. Like, what if good drivers did not have to pay for all the bad drivers? Root Insurance thinks that the old way of pricing car insurance is not right. It's not fair. So Root developed a mobile app which measures driving behavior. By removing bad drivers from the equation, Root saved good drivers up to 52% in 2019. So gone are the days where your car insurance rate is based on your credit score, your age, your gender, or your zip code. 
With Root, it's car insurance made easy, using an app to base rates primarily on how you drive. Better drivers deserve better rates, right? That's why the Root app uses driving behavior to determine car insurance rates. And in 2019, Root was the fastest growing direct insurance company in the United States. All you have to do is download the Root Insurance app, drive normally for a few weeks during the Root test drive, and then see how much you can save. Do not wait. Give it a try. Head to your app store, download the Root Insurance app, sign up in less than a minute, and start your test drive today. That's R-O-O-T. Again, download the Root app today or visit joinroot.com and learn more and see how much money you can save. Not available in all states. Disclaimers may apply. Visit joinroot.com for details. One or two things about the Giants and certainly the matchup, but I get such an enormous kick out of coming on the NFL and CBS from the guys who sit the desk to Drew to everybody who works on the production side. I mean, everybody's so first rate and it really is family and the chemistry is unreal. Do you like being a part of the show? And what's the experience been like for you to come back to the studio and work with those guys? Well, it's been great. Uh, you know, better than I probably thought it would work out. Uh, look, I do Showtime. I find it to be easy, of course, because it's just a different show. You know, you can just say whatever you want, and we don't worry about a commercial or a timing or nothing, and it's really open. But, you know, the great thing about the show, I think for any show, everybody, nobody has thin skin. And if you were sitting at that desk with us, you know, we'd get our share of jabs in on you. But, of course, knowing you and listening to you, I don't know if I'd jab you a lot because you know how to counter pretty well. And, uh, but I, I think that's the biggest thing of all. It's just being able to say what you truly feel to, to one of the other guys and have some fun with it and, you know, maybe get the message across to the fans or whatever the point is, and it, it's, it's awesome. And, it's, and I tell people this all the time, too. Doing games was much easier than doing the studio right? because I'm neurotic, so now I want to know everything. So I'm watching all the games. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I used to do games. I'd just concentrate on my team and learn about the league a little bit here and there. But trying to keep up with all the rosters, what's going on, uh, it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's – what's the word for it? Oh, Phil, what do you do? What do you do all day? You must work hard. Yeah, I watch football games. It's really rough. Yeah, right. Get <laughs> so up that's on this always my line nail. to it. Yeah, I watch games on – you know, my computer, my tablet, or on TV all week long. It's it's really a tough life. They pay I mean, pretty if, good if money. If somebody told the average fan that they could do that for a living, my gosh, they'd do it almost for free. Everyone so it's, I'm blessed to do it. I do love being in the studio, and uh, hopefully I can stay there a few more years. Yeah, no, I get it. It's just different, but it's awesome. It is awesome. But it, it is all, It's awesome to kind of be involved with all everything, you know. That's what's awesome about it, just to kind of be able to tiptoe and talk about different subjects, different teams. Where when you do games, you know, you just concentrate on what's there in front of you. Exactly right. All right, so quickly, they, from one quarterback looking at another as we get ready for the Super Bowl, what kind of thoughts do you have when you watch Patrick Mahomes playing now? Well, I, I saw Brett Favre, Dan Marino, John Elway. I thought Brett Favre. I thought, oh, my gosh, he's incredible. We might not ever see anybody like him again just throwing the ball. Then Aaron Rodgers comes around the next quarterback. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I thought, well, it'll be a long time to well, – well, long story short, there's Patrick Mahomes. And it, it's hard to separate yourself from a team game. But, you know, I don't even have – I don't even think twice. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback right now in the NFL. And it's he truly is great TV to watch. Even if I wasn't involved in football, maybe not a football fan, I could watch him and go, man, it just – that's different. 
And I think that's what's so amazing about him, that he just plays the position. He has great athletic feel, confidence. It just goes on and on. And the throwing, of course, that's the biggest thing. He is one of the best throwers I've ever seen of the football. And that's saying a lot because we're putting some peop- him ahead of some people that are that were great throwers, but he is he's truly special. So, Phil, when you look at the Niners and the way they get after the quarterback, that great front four they have, and you see that top-rated defense going up against a high-octane Chiefs offense, who has the edge? How do you think that plays out? Really interesting. Lots of answers. I'm curious to see how the 49ers play them. In other words, will they just say, this is me talking if I was coach. This, this is being TV talk. If I was them... I would dare the Chiefs to run it. Dare them. In other words, show that you're going to have a lot of a lot of guys back in pass coverage and say, go ahead, we're there. You can get four or five yards if you run the ball. And call their bluff and see if they'll do that. I don't think they will. And there's a couple teams that did this year. The best one that did it was the Los Angeles Chargers. And it caught my attention when they played down in Mexico. They dropped back and started and said, okay, we're going to let you throw the ball, but it's going to be seven and eight yards, and that's it. And I thought the Chiefs had a very hard time with it, and they had a couple games like that. And then all of a sudden, they adapted a little, and we see Patrick Mahomes throwing some short passes now. Andy Reid has designed more of them. So, and it's, but it's not the high-flying act that we're used to seeing. So I San Francisco plays almost the identical defense that the Los Angeles Chargers do. So I'm sure they're going to take a lot for those films and probably talk to some of the guys on their coaching staff just to maybe get some insight or whatever. And I I would be very surprised if they don't do that. All right, so Phil, you know the tight ends will be a part of this. You had a great tight end in Mark Bavaro. They're different guys now, the guys playing this game. But if you had your choice, and they are different players, who would you rather have, George Kittle or Travis Kelsey? Well, uh, you, you know, it's it's not a hard answer, but it, yeah, if I had just take one, I'm taking Travis Kelsey. Uh, I know blocking and everybody's all that. Hey, look, I want a guy that can make plays that win games. Now, now Kittle, he can do it too. We know that, but Travis Kelsey has just got he's got something extra when it comes to running routes after the catch, whatever. He's just got. I guess the word is he's got a little more wiggle than George Kittle does, and they're they're. He just has a great feel for the passing game, and, of course, he's playing for the right coach. And if he wanted to be one of the best blockers in the NFL, he could be. Now, it's a hard decision to make, either one. They're both tremendous, but, but I would take Travis Kelsey. All right, so who do you like on Sunday, Phil? Have you made up your mind yet? Well, you know, as of now, and, and I'm not – I could back out of it, but as of now, I, I just think physically – Overall, I think the 49ers, they have a little weakness here and there, but overall I think physically they're the better football team. They are their front seven on defense, the defensive linemen and linebackers. I watched some of their games, and then I watched the championship game where the Kansas City Chiefs played the Tennessee Titans, and I'm watching the Titans defense, and I went, man, they look like they're in slow motion because I just got done watching three games of the San Francisco 49ers. Sure. And I was just, I couldn't help it. I just constantly went, oh, my God, the speed, the speed, the defensive lineman. Eric Arnstead, he's the size of a mountain, and he's quick and fast and mobile and all that. 
Their linebackers got to be the fastest group maybe in NFL history. Uh, so it, it's that speed, you know, stops a lot of things. It's great against a mobile quarterback. It stops. T- it takes ten yard uh, runs and turns them into four and things like that. Screen plays. Oh, you fooled us, but don't worry, we'll catch up and still take care of it. So it's going to be interesting and see how Kansas City adapts to it and how Kansas City tries to block that great front four of, of the San Francisco 49ers. They recover so well, don't they? They can make up for a lot of mistakes and speed well, kills. Well, you know, listen, that's exactly right. Aaron Rodgers could have thrown four touchdowns that counted maybe against the 49ers. I'm maybe exaggerating a little, but to make my point. But you know why he didn't? Because he was getting hit. So he didn't have where he usually goes, oh, I'll pump fake and then throw it. Well, you pump fake and then you got hit, trip, you know, hit, sack, fumble, the whole thing. So that front really can hide anything behind it a lot, and you have to kind of adjust your game plans uh, to, to deal with it. It's that good. So, Phil, make the executive decision for me. Are we done or can I not end a podcast with you without asking you for at least one of your favorite LT stories? Oh, geez. Oh, I have to think of one I can tell. <laughs> it's a podcast. You can tell anything. Well, he uh, – well, I, yeah, I, I can say this one. Um, he, of course, when he does something, he has to overdo it. So whatever it is, if he's going to shoot basketball for – you know, he's got to shoot a 1,000 because he just – whatever. Whatever the sport. So he took up golf. And, of course, now he's got to play golf every day. So it's a Thursday. It's still warm out. He pulls his car into the gate of our outdoor practice field at Giant Stadium. He pulls his car into the gate. It's like seven yards away from the sideline. Keeps the door open, has all of his golf clothes laid out. And, you know, we're all laughing, and Parsons says, what the hell are you doing, or whatever. He goes, hey, I got a 4-10 tee time. I'm going to make it. Oh, man. Yeah, and Bill laughs. Oh, okay. So it's one of those practice, well, do it again, do it again. One of those, and it's really running late, and all of a sudden Lawrence is, you know, standing in the back going, hey, Bill, I got a 410 tee time, and I'm going to make it. Oh, and, you know, Bill, and, oh, Lawrence, you know, that's just Lawrence, and he kind of played it off. After the third time, it was it was going to be tight, and Bill looks at me and goes, you know, how many times are we going to run these plays? We've done them many times. I think we're good. Come on, everybody get up, you know. So he wasn't going to see if Lawrence was going to go, hey, I'm going to make my tee time. I think Lawrence would have been respectful enough, but Bill wasn't going to find out. And Lawrence, of course, practice is over, walking across the field. He's taking his stuff off, throwing it down on the ground, puts his golf clothes on, and went up made his 410 tee time. So uh, that's that's about the only one I can tell here on the radio. Well, Phil, it's a great story. It, it's just not quite as good as the one where he showed up with a jacket over his hands, but almost. Oh, well, you knew that one. Okay. Yes. Yeah, but they don't know it. I know okay. it, but they well, don't know it. came in. Team meeting, I think we were in Dallas. We were in Dallas, I know. And um, he sits next to me. We sat together a lot. And, you know, he's always across from me in the plane, one row back, always the same seats, him and I. But he comes in, I look on his face, I go, I can just tell, I go, what's going on with you? He goes, you won't believe it. And I go, Lawrence, I'll believe it. You know, it's all like I said, no, you can't. So he takes the leather jacket that he has on it over his arms and he, pulls it back, and he had handcuffs on. And I just go, oh, my God. I said, I don't even want to know. Don't say anything. That's it. Whatever. He goes, well, what am I going to do? And I just said, I don't, it's not my, 
I said, why don't you tell the security guy we have that you need a locksmith, and they'll come and unlock. I'm, I'm not quite telling the whole story, but I'm telling enough. And he goes, oh, it's a good idea. So I just go, where's the key? And, of course, he just said, well, the person that put these on me did not have the key, of course. But of course. That was just part of it, uh, you know, to live. Him and I played together for 13 years. So he wrote a book about a lot of these stories, and he didn't even scratch the surface. He could write 10 books, you know. So, But he was a tremendous teammate. The, all the players loved him. And, you know, he could be friendly. He was extremely generous with all the teammates. Somebody was in trouble, needed something, needed money. Lawrence was always there for him. He was really great that way. And um, we had a lot of fun. And if you ever look at an old giant game on TV, when we scored a touchdown, as I would be walking off the field, he'd always be the first guy there. He'd give me a hug or slap me five or whatever and walk on. And I said to him one day last year, I said, did you do that because you like me? Or you just did it because you just couldn't believe we finally scored a touchdown. <laughs> funny, <laughs> so, funny. But, yeah, it, it, so it was all good. It, it, there were some down times, of course, and we know all those. But uh, the great, the good times were really special. And we would not have won two Super Bowls without Lawrence Taylor, that's for sure. Nor would they have won them without you. I think I got a feeling that guy loved you. That's my personal opinion. It took a while, you know. I'm sure he looked at me and thought certain things i think what happened is over time he go he you know jim i can only tell you these in person some of the things he'd say so man sims i think you know like you know people don't know who you really are or whatever and i said well what do you mean he he, he, he all people think you're a little goody two-shoes and this what well, i don't know so i think once he saw my family background he learned all that and everything he met some of my brothers and and everybody, he he just got a better feel for me, and we really became, I think, good friends. And I consider us really good friends. And um, we don't keep in touch as much as we used to, but I'm sure I'll see him a few times this summer. But like I said again, watching him play now, looking back, and I see old films of him playing, I go, "Oh my gosh!" If he was in today's game, he still might be the best player in the field. He changed the game, right? I mean, he changed the way offensive lines had to react and block and think. And even then, they didn't know what to do with him, right? I think it's one of the like the five biggest game changers in history. Mm-hmm. Offensive line play changed and, and pass protections, the way they thought about everything, had to change strictly for one reason. That was because of Lawrence Taylor. And even though they made those changes, they didn't work out real well a lot of times So for them, but it had to be made. Last thing. His first scrimmage with the New York Giants. He's a rookie, 1981. Six passes, six sacks by Lawrence Taylor. Get him out. That's it. I can hear Parcells. Get him out. We'll never see who's going to do anything. Get him out of practice. Oh, wow. And they took, they took him out. And that was really, it was unbelievable. I think it was that. I, I can remember the day like it was yesterday, too, going, oh, my gosh. It's, I. How did the New Orleans Saints not draft him? Thank God, you know, and 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 I think he gained right there early in training camp. He gained such respect from all the vets and all the players on the team because we could see his greatness. That's for sure. That's an amazing story right there, Phil. I, I mean it sincerely. Like the fans can say, "Yeah, that's not work. That's not work," but it is work. And I can see when I come in at the end of the season how hard you guys have hit that thing. And by the end of the year, everybody's ready for a little bit of time off. And now that CBS does not have this particular Super Bowl, you could be having the time off and not doing the podcast. This means so much to me. And 
and I really appreciate you not only showing oh, up, but showing silly. up the way you did. I mean, you know, you don't have to have a pre. I want to do it. You know, I want to talk. We get to tell some stories. We have a good time and everything like that. And you know, it's I, still I, rare. I don't take to you know time off. I mean, come on. When you go away for a week and you don't do your radio show, are, are you? Towards the end of the week, going, man, I'm okay. That's enough. I need to get back. Yes, every time. I, that's every how time. I am. I'll every take time. about a week break when when the Super Bowl's over, but I'm gonna get right into the combine and all that. Start watching it and teaching kids and stuff and throwing. I threw this morning with a couple kids, uh, so you know it's it's a. I, I, I moan and groan sometimes. I don't know why anybody would ever li- listen to me. But it's a great life, and I, I really appreciate it. And, of course, you know, and I know you, you love sports. I love pro football. I love football, but I really love pro football. And uh, just to be part of it is great. That's awesome, and I so appreciate that. And you are such a good man and so good at this. So thank you very much. I will look for you soon, and that is an all-time podcast. Phil, you are the best. Uh, you're the man, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Hey, sports fan, what's cracking? Now that I've got your attention, I want to tell you about a daily sports podcast that I like very much. It's from Wondery and The Athletic, and it's called The Lead. Every weekday morning, The Lead brings you a deep dive into the biggest sports stories of the day from the Athletic's all-star team of local and national sports reporters. You know, stories like, where did the 49ers new star running back Raheem Mostert come from? Or, what can Zion do to help the Pelicans? Are they a playoff team this year? So if you're looking for the full story behind last night's scores and today's extremely hot takes, make sure you subscribe to The Lead from Wondery and The Athletic. Thanks to my man, Phil Sims, for joining me during a busy Super Bowl week and breaking down that matchup. Appreciate him as always and looking forward to some quality FaceTime next year in New York at the studio. Remember, while you're here, do the big three if you don't mind. Rate, review, and subscribe. It helps a ton with the podcast exposure, so I appreciate it so much. I will be back next Wednesday in SoCal with another episode, but until then, here are this week's voicemails. First new message. Hey, Jim, what's up, man? This is David from Buffalo. I was listening back to the show. Heard the call from Silk in Huntington Beach about his story there when he played putt-putt with his wife and they ran into Kobe Bryant and his family. I mean, that's just an amazing story right there. How many big-time superstar athletes do you see just doing like a regular thing like that? Says a lot about the guy. That's incredible uh, to think that a lot of people knew this guy and everything. Just, you know, most of these athletes, you just never really get to know. And it seemed like he actually was one of the rare guys. Thanks again, Jim, and I'll talk to you soon. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Jim? It's Dr. Dave. I was going to come in with some lame joke about how this coronavirus was Brad's revenge for uncircumcised euros, but it got me thinking about everything with Kobe, and fuck anybody who comes up with a joke with some kind of crash into the hill like John Denver. Fuck all of y'all, especially you, Vic. Your Twitter account has been terrible with your jokes towards Kobe. Screw you. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jimmy Smack. Jason over here outside Lincoln, Nebraska. Looking for a place for a tour stop? Come on out to Lincoln. Got a couple great venues you can get set up in. Would gladly host you. And the clones would come out. We don't have much here. We need you. I don't know. Bring old Dominic Riola up on stage. Have him smash a beer on his head or something. Bug you later. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rome. It doesn't matter uh, who I am or where I'm from or what I do. All I know is I grew up watching the hardest working, most lovable guy 
greatest family guy, taught me how to work as hard as I do, and I'm not that much younger than a man. We can only hope to work half as hard as he ever did and be as much as family guy he ever was. So I'm torn up today, bro. I'm torn up, man. Props to the king. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Paul in Buffalo, New York. So I listen to all your podcasts and your side hustle pods. Now, they're all great, of course. But the Danny, the Danny DeVito moment where Danny takes you to task and says, are you listening? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm listening, was one of the funniest things I think I've ever heard. Coffee shot out of my nose. Out. Message deleted. Next message. Rome, this is Paul from Milwaukee. I got a set of infant twins, and I've been burning and churning through all these pods while I've been doing my late night shift with the kids. Thank you so fucking much. Dude, your Milwaukee Bucks killing it this year. Why are the Lopez twins not on this some bitch yet? Get them on. For Giannis. Message deleted. Next message. Romy. Dalton from Sacramento. Just listen to the Masvidal podcast. Yeah, he's bad. Don't get me wrong, but he needs to remember who he's talking about. For someone who baptizes someone, let's go to the real baddest mother ever around. The king, Conor McGregor. Three divisions, knockouts in all divisions, 19 baptisms in total, and Masvidal will be baptism number 20 for the king. Thanks, Romy. Message deleted. You have no more messages.